Howdy. What's going on? Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. It is heard live every day, by the way, from noon until 3 on WBT Radio in Charlotte. And if you want exclusive content, invitations to events, the weekly live stream, my daily show prep with links, become a patron. Go to thepetecalendarshow.com. This podcast is also supported by North Carolina businesses, so please consider supporting them. Try not to skip through their short ad. Make sure you hit the subscribe button to get every episode for free right to your smartphone or tablet. And thanks so much for your support. They, they love me so much here at WBT. They said, you know, let's just blow out the news and put Jason and John on right now. And so they did. And I'm more than happy to fill the time. <laughs> Joining me now, uh, if you remember the show on WBT all those years ago, you remember this next guest, Dr. John Lott, former uh, economist at the U.S. Sentencing Commission, professor, and of course, author extraordinaire. Uh, more guns, less crime caused quite a stir. And they, by the way, they put John... And I hate to use metaphors, but they put John in the crosshairs for writing that book about how important the Second Amendment is all those years ago. We were the one of the first programs to promote it. We're glad we did. He wrote two, three, four second editions. I guess they'd be third or fourth editions. Uh, and, and he's really been in the thick of things in defending the Second Amendment and the importance of it. Um, so uh, I wanted to talk with him, but also uh, where he works, where he, he he controls the Crime Prevention Research Center, or runs that. He's got a new executive director, Carrie Sloan. We'll bring her on at the bottom of the hour to tell a really fascinating and scary story what happened to her and why she thinks the Second Amendment is so darn important. But right now, our old buddy, and I do mean old, uh, Dr. John Lott joins us. John, welcome to the program. Okay, well, I'm glad I get something for putting the years in. So yeah, anyway, right. uh, thanks for having me on. It's great to talk to you. You get called old for the, all those, I mean, yeah. yeah well, I, I, guess, I guess at least I can accomplish being called old, so I appreciate that. Well, look at it this way. You're not as old as I am. Okay. Well, <laughs> I, yeah, I, I don't seem to be able to catch up on that. For <laughs> so here's the deal. I mean, this is really frustrating to me, and, and I, I want to talk to... Um, carrying that personal story you've been telling me about and we'll do that at the bottom of the hour but what we're seeing there's so many stories to tell i don't know if you saw david frum's piece in the atlantic but it was an outrageous piece where he admitted the real agenda of the anti-second amendment left and it was basically along the lines of we don't want responsible gun ownership we don't want any gun ownership right and and it was revealing but that really is the truth, isn't it? I mean, they actually think law-abiding citizens with a gun are a threat to somebody. Right. Well, it's not just him. Uh, Gabby Giffords, uh, who, you know, has the Giffords Foundation named after her, and she runs it. Uh, she did an interview with Time magazine a, a couple months ago, where at the end of the interviewer interview, the interviewer asked her, what is her ultimate goal? You know, what what's her end game and she said it was to get rid of all guns and the interviewer asked her again to just to make sure that she was clear on what was being asked and answered and she again said yes her goal was to get rid of all guns and uh, then an aide of hers chimed in and said well you know look at how well it worked in Australia where they banned all guns you know of course they're wrong about that. All guns weren't banned in Australia. They had a buyback, but then by 2010, the gun ownership rate in Australia was actually higher than it was before the buyback. But put that aside, it's just, you know, basically three times there within a span of just a couple minutes, uh, they doubled down and doubled down again on the 
goal of banning all guns. And, you know, it's, it's kind of weird. We live in a world right now where you have Democrats uh, doing things like uh, cutting funds for police, having district attorneys who are refusing to prosecute violent criminals, having bail reform where uh, people who even go and commit murder can be released on essentially very low or no bail. And you have uh, liberal judges around the country over the last few years releasing half or even two-thirds of the inmates in some local jails around the country. And, you know, crime goes up. But rather than going and then saying, well, we'll let individuals protect themselves, those same people that want to make it so law enforcement can't protect you also want to make it so that the individuals aren't able to go and protect themselves. And that gets to the crux of why, and I still don't know why, you know, the, cons- the, the, the so-called conspiracy theorists, and that's anybody who disagrees with the regime these days, but the so-called conspiracy theorists say, well, they want to take away your guns for absolute power. Um, I, I don't know what their, their motivation is for telling a law-abiding citizen who is, by definition, going to be safe with a firearm. They can't own a firearm. I, I can enti- entirely understand why you don't want criminals to have guns. That makes sense. But you've got now the the mayors of these big cities, Minneapolis comes to mind, the governor of Minnesota, who literally stood down during the riots. Now the, the, the Twin Cities are in a free fall with carjackings and crime like they've never seen. And they want to, as you, as you say, disarm the citizens at the same time. What, what is behind this motivation? Chaos? I, I don't know. It's hard to figure out. I, I suppose just as a general comment, uh, I'll say... You know, uh, you look at something like healthcare debate that you and I have talked about many times in the past, and something like Obamacare, uh, they don't want you to be able to decide what will be included in your health insurance. Uh, mm-hmm. They don't trust you to be able to make decisions on that. Pretty much the only thing you can decide anymore is just the level of the deductible that you have. And the thing is, if they can't trust you to make decisions about what will be included or covered in your health insurance, um, you know, so if you're a 65-year-old woman, you still get covered for childbirth. Um, you know, are they going to trust you with weapons? I mean, in some sense, it's who do they trust to make decisions? And they don't trust individuals. And surely they don't trust individuals when it comes to letting individuals have weapons for protection. But, you know, it's... There me, is... It's, I mean, uh, I'm glad you brought that think, up because... There is a lawlessness that has overtaken the left. Uh, we saw it with Trump's indictment last night, which I think crossed the Rubicon into really threatening territory when you're criminalizing well, routine criminalizing metaphors or similes or free speech, right? Um, I mean, but they, go ahead. They want to go after John Eastman because he provided a legal That's right. argument that they disagreed with. So are they going to go and prosecute Republican lawyers who give their clients uh, yes. advice to go and fight against them. I mean, this is just absolutely crazy stuff. Yeah, Eastman was said Eastman, is, and he still is in his letters to the editor and elsewhere. He still believes in the independent state legislature theory of who appoints electors um, to these to the elect the president. That's a legal opinion. But he's right. going to be a co-conspirator, right? Yeah. This, and, I mean, this is really terrifying stuff. But what goes under the radar when you have something that transparently unconstitutional, in my view, as Jack Smith's indictment was, 
is the fact that in the Bruin case, the Supreme Court of the United States said that, look, you have to look to original intent as to what the framers thought of the Second Amendment if you're going to restrict that right just like you would the First Amendment. And yet from New Jersey to Minnesota, the governors, the mayors, anybody that's got any jurisdiction are simply ignoring the Supreme Court. And they're doing right. it anyway. Right. Well, I mean, uh, in New Jersey and New York and uh, Maryland, they're making it so that they say, okay, we'll let you have a concealed carry permit now, but you, there's really no place you can carry it outside of your front yard. And so, you know, because they'll say any business establishment, any restaurant, any uh, movie theater, any church, any school, uh, not only can't you carry it there, but you can't carry it within like 100 feet of that. Well, you have to have try, insurance. Try, try going down any any town or business or any city without being within 100 feet of a business or a restaurant or something. And so, you know, it's just, uh, it's, I don't know. Well, I mean, in that case, Justice Thomas, um, writing for the majority, said, look, um, the, the, sec- the Second Amendment is not an orphan. It has the same uh, individual right protections as the First Amendment. And his five fellow conservatives said, if you want to, um, you know, basically adjudicate gun restrictions, it wasn't just concealed carry, but any gun restrictions, you have to look at the ordinary meaning of of the second amendment at the time it was created and so basically thomas says you go read the second amendment if that's not clear you go and look at the legislative debate if that's not clear then you go and see what laws were in place either in 1791 when the second amendment was adopted or in 1868 when the 14th amendment applied the bill of rights to the state yeah and that's pretty clear the problem is you, you, only four justices, Thomas and, and three others, clearly said that. You had uh, Roberts and Kavanaugh uh, who concurred, but they listed out a whole bunch of gun control laws that clearly didn't meet that test that they still said were constitutional. Look, here, here's the problem that you have. Uh, well, let me, let me yeah. just take one of those. Let me just take one of those, though. In Minnesota, they just, the law is going into effect. That right. I think is gun registration. That that's saying, however you obtain a gun, not if you go to a gun dealer and buy it and you do the Nick's background check as the law is today, but if your uncle bequeaths you a family heirloom, an old Colt, whatever, right? You've got to register that. You've got to report it to the authorities. Now, how does that how does that comply with the kind of restriction the framers had in mind? Doesn't it come close to it. No, I mean, obviously they didn't have it in 1791 or 1868. Look, the the claim that the Biden administration or the governor in uh, Minnesota or others make is that registering guns uh, is an important way of going and solving crime. And that's simply false. I've worked in the Department of Justice. Look, in theory, if a gun is left at a crime scene and it's registered to the person who committed the crime, then you can go and, and trace it back to the criminal and solve the crime. The problem is crime guns are almost never left at the crime scene. And the few times that they are left at the crime scene is because the criminal has either been killed or seriously wounded, so you've caught them anyway. And in the couple other times that they're left there, 
uh, they're either not registered, or if they are registered, they're not registered to the person who committed the crime. So, you know, we have places in the United States that have had registration and licensing for decades, and they can't point to a single, not one single crime. Hawaii's had had registration licensing since 1960. They can't point to one crime that they've been able to solve. But the Honolulu police chief has estimated it takes 50,000 hours worth of police time each year to go and run the program. And so the problem that you have is you've taken 50,000 hours worth of police time away from things that we know work because policing is important. Mm-hmm. And we end up, you know, if you could point to a thousand crimes that you had solved or a hundred or 12 or three, then at least there'd be some trade-off that you can talk about there. But if you can't point to one single crime that you've been able to solve, just think how many crimes you could solve with that 50,000 hours worth of police time each year that's lost. But it's not just that. New York uh, and Maryland had a ballistic fingerprint set up for a decade and a half. New York spent $45 million on it to register and license these guns. And yet, despite spending $45 million, they couldn't point to one crime that they've been able to solve. And even a crazy gun control place like New York and Maryland finally got rid of those registration rules because $45 million, that's a lot. You could do a lot with $45 million in terms of policing or in terms of... Well, they don't much care for policing either. It's a bizarre scenario we are now in. All right, now you've heard me talk about them. Old Grouch's Military Surplus. They're expanding with more ways to get your hands on authentic U.S. military surplus items. Go to oldgrouch.com. Check out the links for the online auctions for rare finds and the vintage shop. Unique, really cool items from modern tactical gear to historical collectibles. Tim at Old Grouch's is always finding new stuff. When I started the podcast at the beginning of the pandemic, my first advertiser was Old Grouch's. If you enjoy the show and derive any value from it, I'm hoping that you will consider supporting one of the businesses that make it possible. Lots of gift ideas for that person who loves the military style for fashion or decor. There really is something for everyone at Old Grouch's Military Surplus in beautiful downtown Clyde and online at oldgrouch.com. Democratic governors, state legislatures are ignoring Supreme Court precedent in New Jersey. Governor Phil Murphy signed a law last year that made getting a gun to carry or a concealed carry permit much, much more difficult. Some places are even mandating insurance, which is impediment for a lot of people to get a weapon or to conceal and carry. And, of course, in Minnesota, law goes into effect now that says you get that uh, inheritance from your uncle and one of it hats happens to be an old firearm. You better report it. You better report it to the authorities, gun registration, or they're coming after you. Now, what's fascinating about all of this is, whether it's Heller or McDonald or Bruin, um, none of this could likely stand up to Supreme Court precedent, but these officials don't care. They're ignoring it. And even worse, many are attacking the Supreme Court for Heller, McDonald, and Bruin, like uh, Senator Tina Smith of Minnesota, who routinely attacks the Supreme Court. Our guest is Dr. John Lott, uh, a staunch defender of Second Amendment rights. Really, it's not Second Amendment, it's not firearms. It is the inherent God-given right of self-defense. That's what's at stake here. And all the Second Amendment does is implement that God-given right, but... Uh, he wrote More Guns, Less Crime. He set up this wonderful think tank called the Crime Prevention Research Center. We'll talk to its executive director at the bottom of the hour. 
who will tell a harrowing story of her own on the importance of self-defense. But in the meantime, John, have you ever... And I, I, you know, kind of dovetailing the Trump indictment into this as well. But the the lawlessness of all of this, you and I are both old enough to remember the 60s. Have you ever seen a, a, a you, the apparatus of the United States government engaged in such lawlessness, whether criminalizing free speech, going after parents at school board meetings, or ignoring Supreme Court precedent on individual rights? No, I mean, it's it's not just who they're going after, but also who they're not going after. I was chief economist for the U.S. Sentencing Commission, and I worked in the U.S. Department of Justice dealing with things like the Nick's background checks. Mm-hmm. And, you know, anybody else other than Hunter Biden with regard to the gun violations would right. be facing two and three felony charges uh, for what he had done, lying on the on the background check form that was there illegally possessing the gun, uh, you know, this notion that somehow he's going to be able to essentially get his record expunged, that he's going to face no criminal charges for the gun violation is just astounding to me. Uh, I mean, I've seen the government go after lots of people who had uh, much uh, less of a, uh, of a uh, criminal offense that was committed. I mean, just uh, within a couple of weeks in Virginia, mm-hmm. uh, they went after a woman who uh, had uh, been using marijuana, uh, even though marijuana was legal in Virginia, it's a controlled substance federally. And so they charged her with two felonies, uh, one for uh, illegally obtaining it on the 4473, mm-hmm. the background check, and then also for possession of the gun, uh, you know, so she had marijuana. Uh, Hunter, uh, even by his own admission and his dad's admission, was using cocaine and heroin. And yet, you know, uh, she's going to prison for multiple right. years, and uh, he isn't having any record that's there. And you can get many, many similar cases. You know, what? what's fascinating to this is, is there, there will be pushback, especially when it comes to the Second Amendment. Um, the, the people are not going to sit back and, and let this happen. And there was a story out of a pro-gun control outfit called the New Jersey Gun Violence Research Center that it conceded that the data really underestimate the percentage of Americans who own guns and will own guns. And the more these people push and start to rescind or try to rescind gun ownership or the Second Amendment, the more people are simply going to do it secretly they're not going to tell people and rightly so because you know they're they're in fear of having their self-defense taken away look i mean we probably have at least half of american households own guns uh and that as i say it's probably even higher i'll just give you one example of the problem with the polling if you go and you ask married men whether they own a gun in the home or married women whether a gun is owned in the home uh, there's about a 15 percentage point gap. Married men are about 15 percentage points more likely to say a gun is owned in the home than married women are. Now, is it possible that married men just like to brag about owning guns if they don't own one? I suppose that's possible. Uh, is it possible that they haven't told their wives that they own a gun when they do? I'm a little bit more dubious about that. But I think what happens, and often these surveys are done after a big mass public shooting. And I think 
my own guess right. is what's happening is that married women are just more reticent to go and tell some stranger who's calling up on the phone whether or not uh, a gun is owned in the home there or not. And, you know, uh, I mean, that's just one out of many, right. many things that just shows you that there's problems with getting people to go and admit whether they own a gun or not. The only really hard data that we have on gun ownership are concealed carry permits. And last year, uh, we had about 22 million Americans in the United States who had a concealed carry permit. Now, that doesn't even count the fact that we now have 27 constitutional carry states where it's not even necessary to go and have a permit. All right, more on that in a minute. First, let me tell you, the Heritage Life Skills event was fantastic. Every year, Bill and Jan Sturette organize the event to help people get educated on how to be prepared for anything. The Sturettes own Carolina Readiness Supply, 2,000 square feet of supplies and educational materials you'll need for any kind of emergency. Food, water purifiers, lighting, tools, first aid kits, instructional materials, camping and hiking supplies, because being prepared is just smart. The Heritage Life Skills event brings education and vendors from all over to help people do just that, I was honored to be able to be a small part of it. And whether you're an experienced prepper, have no clue what you're doing, or maybe you're somewhere in between, Carolina Readiness Supply can help you in Waynesville and always at carolinareadiness.com. Veteran-owned Carolina Readiness Supply. Will you be ready when the lights go out? But John, you, were, you go ahead and finish your point, then we'll talk with Carrie. Sure. You know, the thing that I just find incredibly dangerous about what's happening is one of the charges against Trump with regard to the January 6th is they're saying his lawyer told him that he had some chance of winning, uh, getting the election results overturned, mm-hmm. and he relied on that. And and they're saying because he did that, he's responsible for the riots that right. were occurring. You know, I, I here we had things like the Lafayette Square riots. I have yet to hear any national Democrat condemn uh, you know, the 120 right. uh, law enforcement people who were injured in that, or the fact, or condemn or the BLM fact and that rioters tried to yep. scale the White House fence there and that the president had to be evacuated for safety because they were concerned about his safety in that place. You know, or, or the riots that occurred on Inauguration Day in 2017. Yet, you know, the the media and Jack Smith just seems to want to criminalize people over political differences there. And it's a really dangerous precedent that's being set here. The most dangerous I've ever seen in my lifetime, I'll be honest with you. And there's no reason that House Republicans should not drop articles of impeachment against Merrick Garland tomorrow. Because you either believe this is good and constitutional and okay, or you think it's a, a, a to- horrible criminalization of the First Amendment First Amendment rights that can't stand and just something's got to be done because they're pushing people in, in a very in a, in a very small corner. Anyway, Dr. John Lott, President Crime Research Prevention Center, is always a pleasure. Let's uh, let's go over to one of his colleagues at the Crime Prevention Research Center, the executive executive director for education, Carrie Sloan. Now, she's got an interesting story to tell of her own experience, but also of a number of women who face domestic violence all the time. They are given all of these instructions on what to do and how to behave and how to be safe. Um, Usually it's not enough. And there is one instruction they're never told that would probably be 
the most um, pr- protective, for lack of a better description. Uh, and she'll get into that. Carrie Sloan, Executive Director for Education at the Crime Prevention Research Center. Welcome to the program. Hi. Hi. Thank you for having me. Glad to have you on. First of all, I read your article on what tragically happened to this Hartford, Connecticut woman who was murdered on the phone while she was with 911. And and this is not an anomaly, um, but you have your own story to tell with regard to domestic violence and what the best way to protect yourself is. Why don't you tell the listeners? Well, yeah, um, I, I, I am a survivor, and um, one of the things that always has stuck out to me and pretty much at that point helped me realize that nobody was coming to save me was after my abuser's arraignment when I was standing in front of the uh, deputy sheriff, black and blue with fingerprints around my neck where my abuser Mm -hmm. picked me up and threw me across the room. Um, They looked at me and they said, do you have a place to hide for four or five days? And I was confused by that, obviously. And and I said, well, yeah. And they said, you sure he doesn't know where where he could, no place he could find you. And I said, yeah. And I said, why why is that? And they said, because we um, know that the violence from your abuser is the the chances of that escalating are going to be significant. And, you know, obviously they didn't want him to have access to me, but never once came out of their mouth was to find any way to defend myself, especially with a firearm. They would not only that, yeah, not only are they telling you to hide, they're admitting that, well, we really can't detain him. He's going to find you probably. You just got to hide better. Oh, and by the way, he's not supposed to have a gun, but he'll probably get one, as most of them do. So much for gun control. Yeah, I mean, of course, they're a little bit more crafty about how they, that language that they use, of course. Right. But at the end of the day, what it really came down to was, you know, they they knew that they weren't going uh, to to protect me or, or no capacity capable of it. Um, and so it's just better that you hide from your abuser um, because clearly it's my fault that I called the cops and put him in jail. And that's the mentality of an abuser, of course. But, uh, um, you know, and this, this particular tragedy or this issue has been the purview of leftists, uh, the Democrat media complex for years and years and years. It's those masculine men, and we're going to protect the victims of domestic abuse. When, in fact, everything they propose puts the victims of domestic abuse at more risk, not less. Yeah, and that's a, that's a huge pet peeve, honestly, uh, to, of mine, the whole um, a man will protect you. Um, you know, and, and I'm going to be really honest, and this is an uncomfortable truth, that there's a lot of conservative mentality and, and very... You know, I live in Georgia now, and there's a lot mm-hmm. of, you know, women, oh, I don't carry a gun, my husband will take care of me. But your husband or your boyfriend, significant other, what, what have you, is not going to be with you 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And that being said, if he is, that's a whole other conversation, <laughs> you know, to be had and, and concerning that he's, you know, you're, you have no able, you know, freedom of movement in any way. So essentially that, that kind of mentality comes from both sides that, you know, the man can take care of you. Now, obviously, it's significantly... Uh, more prevalent on on the left, and that's the man being uh, not more metaphoric, you know, meaning yep, the yep. government or law enforcement or what have you. But at the end of the day, we even have these Supreme Court cases, um, you know, one of them being um, Castle Rock versus Gonzalez, which was out of um, uh, Colorado in 2005, and it was a domestic violence case in regards to uh, protection orders um, that, you know, says law enforcement... Um, it has no obligation to protect you, yet 
the system, this broken system that is telling women that law enforcement has no obligation to protect you is also taking away our ability to defend ourselves. And what's even more concerning to me is that they've weaponized women to push this narrative. Right. So they're literally weaponizing women against their own best interests and self-defense. Uh, don't forget jasonlewis.substack.com. I'm in for Pete this week, so you can find out more about me and read my newsletter, Jason's newsletter, at jasonlewis.substack.com. And don't forget to pick up a copy of Party Animal, The Truth About President Trump, Power Politics, and the Partisan Press, my little quick bio of what I saw in Washington and on the campaign trail these last few years as a member of Congress. But right now, God may have made men and women, but Sam Colt made them equal. Uh, And nobody knows that more than our guests. The executive director for education at the Crime Prevention Research Center, Carrie Sloan, joins us. Tell us about the tragic story of Carolyn Williams in Hartford, Connecticut. Well, she, um, like so many women in America, um, had broken away from her abuser and got a protection order of protection. Um, from the courts, and it obviously, as, as again, in many cases, it, it did no good. Her abuser still, um, you know, was able to obtain a gun, even though he was a prohibited person under the Violence Against Women's Act. A lot of people don't realize that, that uh, there's a long, convoluted way that that filters down into funding to support red flag laws, but red flag laws will exist in, for domestic violence in states where there's no formal domestic or where there's no formal red flag law because it's covered under the violence against women's act mm-hmm. so uh he was obviously a prohibited person still miraculously obtained a firearm i'm not sure how that happened if he was prohibited right um it's almost as though criminals can still obtain guns if they want them right weird they do so yep. <laughs> he uh he was able to obtain a firearm um and he broke into her house pistol whipped her son and um she was murdered while on the phone with 911 screaming, he's hit me again, he's hit me again, he has a weapon. And interestingly enough, right around the same time that this happened, there was another story in Chesapeake, uh, Virginia, where um, a man um, with, estranged from his uh, victim mm-hmm. that he had been abusing, um, also a prohibited person, he also um, murdered her while she was on the phone with 911. And here's kind of the mentality of abusers that's interesting with this is his justification for having a gun, even though he was a prohibited person, when he went over to the house that he was not supposed to go to, mm-hmm. was that she had a gun and he was going to need to defend himself because she was going to kill him if he showed up. But you weren't supposed to show up. Right. Anyway, guy. It's amazing. So, but that was, so in his mind, as an abuser, right, because that's, that's a whole other conversation we could have, but about abusers and their mentality, but... He, he felt validated that even though he was a prohibited person, that he still needed to obtain a sure. firearm so that he could go and, and kill him. And this is the fundamental lesson in the gun control debate. The bad guys will get the guns, Always. regardless. So what Always. the left and, and the, the, the Biden Democrats and the Democrat media complex are left really saying is, we promise to make certain law-abiding people, including victims of domestic violence, don't get guns. But we really can't stop bad guys from getting guns. I mean, this is insane, and and it's also equally insane, and I, you know, try as they might, they're trying to rescind biological reality. But the fact is, as as I joked in the outset here, the cult is the great equalizer because in many... 
I'll just be blunt. Women aren't as strong as men. Yeah, I'm no biologist, but <laughs> last time I checked, we, we typically have um, some, some disadvantage. Now, you know, to be fair, there are some exceptions to the rule, and I've known some lifelong uh, female martial arts practitioners who are absolutely lethal. But at the end of the day, when it, it, take a gun out of, the, out, of, out of the equation, if a woman's being insulted, uh, assaulted, at that point, that man is on top of her. And so she is already at a physical disadvantage. So there is no real justification for wanting to not see a woman carry a firearm when it is absolutely the best way that she can. It is the most effective tool, self-defense tool that is available to her, period. Well, where are the women's rights groups? Where are the feminist groups? Where, where is, I mean, they're totally silent on this. Well, no, they're not silent. They're not silent at all. They're being weaponized to support the very laws that are actually the most effective at being able to defend their own lives. But the reality is that the, the Democrats love to make, see, there's two groups. Uh, that are the biggest pawns for gun control. One of them is domestic abuse victims and the other is children. And they love to use women against their own best interests, as I mentioned earlier, to support mm. these laws that actually put them in danger. And the, that cognitive dissonance that these women have is just dumbfounding to me. And interestingly enough, though, when you, when you get to them and you talk to them and you, you get away from the actual argument itself of shall not be infringed or Second Amendment right, and you, you start to talk to them about it from that emotional state for me personally as a mm-hmm. survivor and how they're putting me at a disadvantage to be able to defend myself against my abuser they tend to, to stop a little bit now you can't always get in but they it makes them think a little bit different um about that because now we're talking about you know them being a virtue signal about to an abuser as opposed to sticking to their talking points yeah i mean it really is important and, and it, i mean and it's equally important uh, I would presume, as a victim or uh, a, a repeat of, uh, victim especially, that they let their perpetrator know they might be armed. Uh, I mean, as Dr. Lott has shown time and time again, just the fact of carrying a concealed weapon or the, 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 the criminal knowing you may be armed is a deterrent. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm glad you actually brought that up because I just recently had a, a young woman. I, I also run an independent organization, independent or excuse me, independent of uh, CPRC, mm-hmm. um, and my organization uh, works to advocate for self defense for women. And I'm a firearms instructor, and we had a woman on financial aid because we provide financial aid for women that can't afford it. And she moved out of her apartment because her abuser was stalking her. And she moved in with family members, and the abuser actually told the cops that he's leaving her alone because they have cameras and guns. And there you go. Carrie Sloan, Sloan, thank you so much. Executive Director for Education of the Crime Prevention Research Center. I'm Jason Lewis. We'll see you tomorrow, gang.